Usually you talk longer than that. What's up? You guys just eager for the sermon or, or, bored, or bored with the people next to you? I'm not sure. It's one or the other. I, I'm counting that it's not the board next to the people next to you. My name's Pastor Dale. Welcome to Seacoast. If you have a Bible, open it. We love to study the Word together here. We think God is smarter than us. Amen? Amen. Yeah, he's smarter than me, that's for sure. So open to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, as we go to the Word again today. Go to the Word again today. If you're new, I would love to meet you. I always hang out in the plaza. Uh, today I may not be there because I've got a meeting, but normally I am there, so I'll be looking, be looking for you. There's also always an outline. Today's outline is probably extra helpful because we're going to cover a lot of kind of a little deeper stuff, so if you want to follow along and want to help Uh, grab your outline and use it too. Okay, let's pray. Father God, thank you. What an awesome morning to uh, sing to you. Wow, thank you Paige. Thank you for the band leading us to focus on you, who you are, your incredible promises, that even in times when things are tough, it is well with our soul, not because of who we are, but because of whose we are, that we belong to you, we're loved by you. Your spirit lives in us, so teach us today about how to live that out as a lifestyle. Uh, I love you. I pray that it would uh, be a morning in which we grow in you, in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. When we started into Ephesians back in the fall, it's a great book. I began in the opening set of sermons from chapter 1, which dealt with who we are in Christ, by pointing out that there are three questions that were answered in chapter 1. And those three questions are questions that every person, I believe, asks themselves every day, even if you're not aware of it. Now, you should be wondering right now, what are those questions? Because we talk to ourselves every day of our lives, either kind of consciously we stop and ask these questions, or at least subconsciously, I believe we're always asking these questions. And there are the three questions that uh, many psychologists will tell you form the basis of your life. Now, you should be really curious. How you answer these three questions has nothing to do with your education or school. In fact, I went through 12 years of secondary education. I did finish high school. I went to college, spent four more years on a degree. Went to grad school where you usually put in four years. I crammed it into three and a half for a master's of theology and have picked up an honorary doctorate. And not once... In any of those educational settings, have I had to answer these questions on a test? Isn't that amazing? The three most important questions that shape your life, and not once in your educational process do you ever answer these questions. So these questions will not earn you a degree... They're probably not going to get you a raise. 
But over time, day after day, they have the power, I believe, to transform your life. That's a big promise. But they are at the root of how you think about yourself and how you live it out every day. These questions can't be ignored or silenced, even if you said, no, 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 I don't want to ask these questions. They're still, they'll still be whispered in your ear from the depths of your soul because you can't avoid them. Next week, I'm going to tell you what those three questions are. (laughs) If you come early. Am I that cruel? No, 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 no. Here they are. You ready? Here they are. They're very short. Am I loved? I'm always asking that. Am I loved? Do I matter? That's the question of significance, purpose. And thirdly, can I do this? Can I do it? That's the question of ability or competence. Am I loved addresses that sense of security and belonging. Do I matter? That question of, is there a purpose in my life? And then thirdly, even if the first two are yes, yes, can I do it? That's the question of competence or ability, which instills confidence in our lives. See, I ask myself those three questions every day, don't you? I mean, in some way, you can't live a day of your life without those questions resonating in your mind. So guess what? The great thing we're going to learn today is Ephesians answers those questions. Ephesians answers those questions. Let's go. Let's go to his word, and we're going to see all three of those questions addressed briefly, but we're going to primarily focus on the third one of those questions today. Father God, teach us from your word. Help us to learn from it and help it transform the way we think about ourselves every single day, every hour of every day. In Christ's name, amen. Last week, Ryan did a great job in chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, to introduce us to this theme, walk in wisdom. His phrase, which I wrote down, was it means to live with intentionality. Another way to say it is think before you live. That's in my outline. Think before you live. And in case you missed it, let me review the highlights because it's so closely connected with today's sermon that the two really need to go together. I love diagrams. So when I kind of thought about Ryan's sermon and put it in a diagram as I thought through this passage, here it is in a picture. I've actually given it to you in your outline to make it easy because I don't have time to really teach it. But here it is. The outline kind of goes something like this. If you want to be careful how you walk, live with intentionality, first thing, you've got to make sure you're living out of wisdom, not the lack of wisdom. Be wise, not unwise, he says in verse 15. Walk in wisdom. Be wise, not unwise. Think about what you believe, your beliefs, your values. Are your beliefs in line with truth? Are your values in line with God? Do you value the things God values? And do you believe the things that are really true? Because if you're living life and you're starting to make choices and that's out of whack, you're already in trouble, right? 
So all these choices, question marks at the top of this little chart are going to filter down through first what I believe, what I value. Secondly, Ryan reminded us that God then says, and by the way, make the most of your time because the days are evil. That's the question of priorities. Because what I believe and what I value should filter down to what I set as priorities in my time. How do I use my life? How do I invest my life? Every day, every hour really matters. And as you do that, you say, yeah, but I need a plan for life, right? And that's the next phrase, understanding what the will of God is in verse 17. So be wise, make the most of your time, understanding the will of the Lord, understand his will. Don't be foolish. Don't try to make up a plan for life on your own, but understand God's will for your life. And as you do that, you understand, and Ryan did a great job last week of challenging me to think in terms of why am I on this planet, what purpose does God have for me, and then God's will gives us the details of his plan. But even if I have the right beliefs and values, the right priorities, and I've got a plan, okay, God, I know what you want me to do, we're left with the question that we're going to come to today. And that question is, but can I really do it? Because even if I know that God values me and I value God and his kingdom, I'm loved. And yes, I understand that I have purpose and God even has a plan for my life. The question becomes, can I do it? That third question that haunts us every single day is what flows out of this, and therefore, instead of the question marks in your outline, write in the single word, power. Because the question is, do I have the power to do what God wants me to do? God gives me a plan, God gives me priorities, God gives me values, but can I really live that way? And we talk about being like Jesus, good grief. Man, if anything should humble us to say, but can I really do that? Then it's this. Do I have the power to live out the plans and the priorities that God really values? That's the question of the morning. And we're going to pick it back up in verse 18 and carry it through the end of verse 21. Listen to the wisdom of God. And do not, look at verse 18 if you have your Bibles, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So let's begin to unpack this question of can I do it? What he's saying, obviously, is the first thing is to depend on the Spirit's power, to walk by the Spirit. Now, First, what does this mean, and how can I do it? How can I know if it's working? Well, listen to Ephesians 5 again. He says, therefore, be filled with the Spirit. Now, the grammar in Greek is fascinating here. It literally means to to continually allow the Spirit of God to empower you and to fill you. So, first of all, what does this not mean? Because this gets really confusing to people. It does not mean that this, this is not the indwelling of the Spirit. So he's not saying, go out and ask God to give you his Spirit. Romans 8 9, uh, John 14 16, a couple of verses you can look up this week, clearly say, uh, Romans 8 9 says, look, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't even belong to Christ. So belonging to Christ guarantees you that his Spirit comes to live in you. Where do we see that promise first? 
John 14, 16. Jesus says this. He says, I've been with you. My spirit has been with you, but I will be in you. My spirit will not just be with you. He'll be in you because I'm going to send my spirit to indwell you. After Jesus went back to heaven, he sent his spirit to begin to indwell his followers. So we know that whatever being filled with the spirit means, it's not that I need to ask God to give me his spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus, he already lives in you. Number two, this is not about getting more of the spirit. Because it almost sounds that way, doesn't it? When you hear the phrase, um, be filled with the spirit, I picture a glass. And if it's not full, I need to pour some more spirit in, right? But how do I know that that's not what it's talking about? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is a person. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. That's the threefold aspect of the personhood of God. So you would never say, okay, I have Jesus, but I got two-thirds of Jesus. I need the other third. You wouldn't say, yeah, the Father is with me, but he's not really with me. I'm only about a quarter of him is with me. I want to try to get it up to 33%. Okay, the Spirit of God, when he comes to live in you, he comes in his totality. I mean, you've got the whole Spirit of God actually indwelling you. That's amazing. So we know it's not that. Number three, this is not a feeling that I need to get more of, but it's a fact that I need to claim and believe and live out of. This is not a feeling. So you say, well, you know, do you feel like you have the Spirit? Well, that's kind of irrelevant because the Spirit is not a feeling He's a person that comes to indwell me, and by faith, Jesus himself has promised me this. So the cool thing in this thing is it's not about getting the Spirit or getting more of the Spirit, and it's not about feeling some emotional, woo, I kind of feel the Spirit. You know, I feel the Spirit moving, or I feel Him not moving, or I feel Him in me. Right? You know, because to be blunt, I don't feel the Spirit in me. Now, we're going to show you later how you can know that the Spirit is in you and working. But the fact of the matter is, if you have accepted Christ, invited him into your life as your Savior, your Lord, you have his Spirit in you. If you don't believe that, you're calling Jesus a liar, and you're living in denial of one of the greatest things you have going for you, especially when you ask that third question, can I do that? Can I actually be and do what Jesus Christ calls me to be and do? Answer is what? Yes. Why? Because you've got his Spirit. So we know what it does not mean. So what? does it mean what's it actually mean to be filled with the spirit let me give you five key words and then a kind of a phrase off of each one number one it starts with a spirit of being surrendered to god it's the spirit of surrender following jesus as your lord moment by moment we know that christ says i'm the head of the body i am the head of the church i am your lord i'm not just your savior i'm your lord so the question is first do i have an attitude of wanting to allow God to direct and empower my life? Or am I going into the part of the next part of my day saying, you know something, God, I really don't care what you think or what you want because for the next couple hours I'm on my own and I'm kind of happy with that because I'm going to do my thing my way by my own strength. So it's an attitude. It's an attitude of surrendering my spirit to the spirit of God and saying, hey God, while I go about my day, while I go to work as a teacher, a janitor, a doctor, while I do whatever I do, uh, you know, as a pastor, even pastors need to be filled with the spirit. Isn't that amazing? You probably thought only pastors need to be filled with the spirit. Let me tell you something. You need it more than we do, probably. Maybe not. I think equal. What do you think, Ryan? 
Same amount. Okay, never mind. I'm calling you out. Okay. Yeah, so Ryan and I would both say that we pastors probably need to be filled with the Spirit uh, as much or more than you do. But this is, not a, this is not a church thing. This is a life thing. See, he's writing these followers of Jesus in Ephesians that are farmers and doctors and this and that. They do all kinds of things to make a living. But as we live out our life, we need the power of God at work in us. That's why he says, number one, have an attitude in my heart and soul, Lord, I am yours. If you're not there, I don't believe you'll experience the power of God's Spirit. It starts with the spirit of surrender. Number two, confess. And this is whenever we fail, we slip up, we sin. Because being honest when you sin and humbly claiming His grace is important to experiencing the power of God in my life. And the reason I know that is it kind of makes sense. Whenever I sin... Is the Holy Spirit empowering and guiding my life? Yes or no? No, because God doesn't sin. So whenever I sin, it's like a wake-up call that, Dale, you're either not doing it God's way or by God's power. You're outside of God's will, not inside. You've disobeyed God. Uh, you've had an attitude, a thought, a whatever, that's disobedient and displeasing to God. And God says the way to deal with that is to first confess my sin. 1 John 1, 9. If you haven't memorized this verse, you need to have this one right up here. Because I use it every day, multiple times during the day, when God convicts me, Dale, you just had a lousy attitude, or Dale, that was not appropriate. And here's what it says. It says, if we confess our sin, if you know it, say it with me. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. In other words, even the sins that we're not aware of because we're not smart enough to know every time we sin. We're not God. So I'm, you know, I'm, probably, I'm probably committing little sins here and there that I'm not even aware of. I'm blind to them, and you are too. So the fact is, when I just, whatever sin I do know of, God just wants me to be honest, be quick, and confess it to God. And then that helps restore me to being surrendered and being able to be empowered by His Spirit. So it's kind of like sin short-circuits the power of God in our lives. Uh, I learned years ago an illustration. I've taught it a couple of times here at Seacoast. I'll teach it until I die because I think it's simple and memorable. And that is that this is like spiritual breathing. Now, as I go through the day, how often do I breathe? Thousands of times. Why? I mean, why not just breathe? I mean, I eat three times a day. If I'm on a diet, two, you know, if you want to, or three, if you want to count a shake. But anyway, okay. You know, but the fact of the matter is, how often do I eat three times a day? Because that's kind of all I need. In fact, I don't even need that much. But let's get off the topic of food. How often do I breathe? Thousands of times a day. Someone in the room probably knows the exact average number of breaths per day. Um, someone always knows that. Anybody know that? I don't. I'll look that up before the next service, maybe. What triggers you to breathe? Do you know what triggers your body to take a breath? Some, I used to think it was the lack of oxygen. Not true. Physiologically, what triggers you to take a breath is not the lack of oxygen, it's the presence of too much carbon dioxide. You've got plenty of oxygen left at the time your body says, you better take a breath, because... 
the most important thing in breathing is actually not the inhaling of the oxygen, it's the exhaling of the carbon dioxide that is poisonous to your system. So as it's being filtered out by your system and into the lungs, uh, you need to get rid of the bad stuff and then inhale fresh air, fresh oxygen. So when you think of that, it's a great illustration. Sin is like carbon dioxide in my lungs. How often do I need to exhale? As soon as my body senses its presence, I need to exhale it. I do that by confessing it to God, being honest and saying, you know, God, I'm not going to make excuses. The fact of the matter is, no matter what's going on around me, I chose to sin against you. And I'm sorry. I, I want to be repentant. I, want, I, want, I don't want to do this, but I do it. God, please, thank you. And in fact, here's a little subtlety. My theology would say you don't even say, God, please forgive me. Because I think you're forgiven on the cross when Christ died for your sins. The, be the better terminology is to say, you know, God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that I know you forgive me. And I'm confessing it to you now. And thank you that I know I'm a forgiven man. You know, so God, God's forgiveness is an endless flow of grace into our lives but we we need to first confess our sin and then that's exhaling and then inhale and what is the inhaling inhaling is not getting more of the spirit but inhaling is claiming my forgiveness thanking god for my forgiveness thanking god that his spirit lives in me and surrendering again to his power and his control so as I confess, I am honest, and I humbly claim his grace. And then what do I do? Then I go on, and I seek to abide. That's a great biblical word. It's a, it's a Bible word, but let me explain it to you. Jesus used it in John 15, 4 and 5. If you do the five appointments with God this week, or the daily encounters, we call them, be sure and do that. You'll, you're going to study this. It's relying on God's presence and power daily moment by moment jesus says abide in me because i'm the vine and you're just a branch right and he says uh, branches can't bear fruit of themselves unless they abide in the vine and it's wine talk it's it's vineyard talk and what he's describing in the vineyard is that is that um that uh that vine that thick vine that comes up and and it's in the vine that the life dwells it's the vine that's rooted in the soil of god's power and god's grace and and jesus says i'm the vine not you you're not your own vine so don't think you can bear your own fruit you're just a branch and branches get pruned and branches hang out there and branches have fruit hanging on them but if a branch gets prideful and they think whoa look at my great fruit you know look what an awesome branch i am you know so I, you know, I don't need that vine so the branch just separates itself from the vine what happens to the branch it dies it dies it's good for nothing gather and burn them up because the the vine can have new branches so the point of this that I want to hit on, though, is Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, because apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Awesome. See, it's a promise that as you abide in the power of Christ, 
the Spirit of Christ who dwells in you, called the Holy Spirit, Spirit of Christ, same person, you are promised a fruitfulness in your life. And he's not talking about fruitfulness. He's talking about it as a metaphor. He's talking about your character. He's talking about the kind of person you are. And he's talking about the fruitful effects of your ministry in your life. You're going to live a life of significance and you're going to live a life of power all because you abide. So abiding is just my word for the ongoing process of surrendering, confessing, surrendering, confessing as a lifestyle. So surrender, confess, abide. Here's the next word I put in, obey. A lot of times people will say, you know, Dale, how can I see more of the power of God in my life? Here's an idea. Do what Jesus asks you to do. Period. Just say, okay. Just read the word of God. And when it says, do this, or live this, or be this, say, all right, why do I not want to do that? Because I know that that's the right thing to do, and I know I've got the power of God living in me, so why not do that? And as I take steps of obedience, God shows up and empowers me. If I'm not willing to even take a step of obedience, you're not going to experience the power of God, because what do you need it for? See, you know, it's like, you know, it's kind of like you're sitting on the sideline. You're saying, man, I really wish that I could display the power of, uh, of uh, well, the NFL. You know, the NFL draft has been in the news the last few days. And once again, my Mountaineers landed a first-round draft choice. But that's not about the sermon today. Uh, Carl Joseph, free safety for the Oakland Raiders. Anyway, I didn't mean to talk about that. But the bottom line is, it, it, you can't display the power if you don't get in the game. You don't see the power of an athlete if he's sitting on the bench. It's when he says, okay, if the coach, it's, this metaphor is Jesus, okay? This is, okay, if the coach says, go, get in the game, take this assignment, do this ministry, serve other people in this way, share Christ with your friends, get involved in, in the ministry of the kingdom of God, Trust me and sacrificially give and serve and do all the things that we're asked to do. It's only as I step into what God wants me to do. When I step into what God wants me to do, it's called obedience. I see more of the power of God. So if you want to sit and just study the power of God, read about it, sing about it, it's not going to be there. It's not until you begin to live a life of obedience. And finally, I, I thought there's one more, and that is this. And that is grow. Now keep growing in his word and in his family. That is the family of God here at Seacoast and elsewhere. Because the power of God is not just a matter of spiritually breathing. There was a point in my life when I think I kind of thought, you know, as long as I just confess my sin and surrender, confess, surrender, confess, surrender, wow, I'm just going to see all the power of God making changes in my life and changing me and changing others around me and whoo! You know, and then I began to realize, wait a minute, the scriptures also talk about growing in the word and growing in fellowship with other believers and being connected to the body of Christ. And what I began to realize is, and here's how I think it fits my metaphor. Yeah, spiritual breathing is what kind of activates the spirit of God, but your potential for power and ministry only goes up as you mature. Illustration. If you've got a growing man, um, 30, let's say 35 years of age, top of his game, or I believe you kind of peak out at about 60. So uh, picture a mature man who's, who's matured 
at the top of his game at age 60. And then you got a little boy, maybe a grandchild, like my grandson Caleb, age nine. See, I watched Caleb play his first playoff basketball game. Now, regular basketball games don't really matter, but this was the playoffs. Okay, you're talking about the championship, you know, or the semifinals at least. Next week he'll win the championship, trust me. But the semifinals for the, uh, for the Escondido um, West Side Rec Center, okay? This is very much like the NBA. It's kind of a precursor league to the NBA. So, you know, so he's playing on his little team, you know, and, and, and I was there. And I watched him. I watched him miss 10 shots. Because he was outside his range. He was so wanting to score. By the way, at this point, his team was ahead 24 to 4. Close game. So his players, Caleb's, uh, he's a new player. He's not the best player on the team. So his buddies are feeding him the ball because they want him to score. Yeah. So he's shooting it up, and he can't get it up there. I mean, it's way up, and it's a 10-foot rim. And, and he's nine years old. He's never played. And finally, he gets the ball about the 10th time, a little closer in. Beautiful, artistically thrown bank shot. Swish. And the crowd went crazy. At least where I was sitting, the crowd went crazy. My wife and I, yeah, yeah. Now, why, why is it that I can make shots from further out? And he can't. Well, it's because he still needs to grow up. He still needs to mature. So spiritually, if you're a spiritual man who's deep in the Scriptures and you understand the Word of God and you understand the promises and the presence of God, you grow, no matter what age you are, you grow spiritually and you become stronger. Okay, So you see more of the power of God on display than you will if you're, if you're a boy, a spiritual boy. So spiritual boys versus spiritual men, spiritual girls versus spiritual women are going to see kind of, you know, the, the, the power of God is going, to, is going to, as you mature, you're going to see more and more of God at work. So there's my thing. So if you want to say, Dale, how do I experience more of the power of God every single day, no matter what I'm doing? Here's my formula. Oh, I backed up. I want to just hit it one more time. Here's my formula. Surrender, confess, abide, obey and keep growing as a lifestyle this is not a sunday thing this is a monday tuesday every day of the week kind of thing and that's what begins to unleash the power of god so it's not the power of god is not some mystical magical thing that you hope that god zaps you with so you have more of the power of god than other christians do it has nothing to do with spiritual gifts it has nothing to do with that has nothing to do with miraculous things. The most miraculous thing about me is when I'm empowered by God to walk in obedience as a lifestyle. Because that's not easy. Amen? That's not easy. And that's the power that God really wants us to experience. Now, we get to this. So how do I know, how do I, where do I go, how do I know whether God's power is actually working in my life and that's when verses 19 through 21 gives us three evidences i call them the fruit of the power in other words if you want to watch for the spirit's fruit this is where i call it that the power that you can actually see how do you see the spirit of god's power in your life 
Because I can't see the Spirit. I've looked. Looked in the mirror, turned off the lights, turned on the lights, still can't see Him. How do I see it? Well, there's a couple passages that speak to this. First, some of you would be thinking, go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Because this verse gives an evidence. This is how I know the Spirit of God is working, is when the fruit of the Spirit shows up. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Those everybody buys. Nobody legislates against these things. See, this is the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not cause, it's not evident because you can do a miracle here or a miracle there. The miracle is that I actually love people who are unlovely. I have joy even when times are tough. I have more of a sense of peace. I have I have patience with people when I used to be an impatient son of a gun. I, I, I'm, I, I have moral goodness and faithfulness and gentleness with people and self-control in how I live my life. I'm not addicted to any other things or substances or driven by this temptation. You know, I, this, this is the power of God. Wow. Who doesn't want more of that? I need it. But this passage takes this same concept and it flips it into three categories. And here they are. I'm going to give them to you and then we'll talk about them. Number one is a more joyful spirit. I find myself praising God no matter what's going on in my life. Listen to God's word in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with, uh, with your heart to the Lord. In other words, authentically from the heart directed toward Christ, but around other people, because it says doing this with one another, I'm more joyful. So the joyfulness of my spirit goes up, not down, as I'm walking in the power of God's spirit. One of the fascinating things I could not help but point out in this passage is uh, this, this says you do this in the context of other Christians. It says speaking to one another with songs and hymns and singing with melody in your heart, joyfulness in your heart. And what had hit me this week was this. Our Christian culture has taught us that worship is about just you and God. It's just you and God. You should just ignore everyone else, and it's just you and God. Ever heard that? You should have heard that, because I've taught that in the past, but not now. Worship is about you and God, but it's not only you and God. What this passage says is worship is about you and the people around you. It's a ministry to other people when you exhibit joyful worship. Now, stop and think, why is that true? You ever been to a pep rally for your favorite team? Yeah. If you go to a pep rally for your favorite team, what happens to your confidence and your love and loyalty to your team what happens what happens doug you used to play some sport minor league volleyball right yeah at did your school play volleyball much at ucla right yeah how many national championships i'm putting you on on the spot here 19 total but while you were there you were just there four years so did they win four <laughs> okay okay so you know about the power of the fans you know about the power of being in an arena where everybody there is for you, with you, and you're all about the Bruin 8 clap, right? Or if you go to USC, man, it's that USC fight song, right? And they give it this, what, is it this? What? 
You never, never, never mind. I, I, want, I, was, I was just trying to balance it out, okay? Because, you know, SC does have fans, UCLA have fans. But, you know, when you're with the fans, man, it gives you encouragement. And you want to go out, you want to do whatever you have to do to win the game. And, and in a way, that's what worship does. It's that type of an experience. But a lot of times, we've been trained by our culture to just come kind of lackadaisical and say, no, I come to church for me. In other words, we go away from church on Sunday saying things like, did I get anything out of church today? Now listen to that phrase. What did you get from church? So did you come to get? This passage is not talking about getting. It's talking about giving. Giving joyful praise to God for the sake of not only God, but for one another, for the team. Wow. So now I just changed the reason I come to church every Sunday. And I hope I changed it in your mind. Because if you're part of the team and you're part of playing the game of encouraging everyone else on the team, guess what? Do you come on time or late? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not guilting you. This is not about guilting you, but it is about teaching you that you are needed. And if you are needed by other people, it's just like if you show up for the pep rally late, then the pep rally goes flat and other people don't receive the ministry they receive when they sit next to you and they hear you sing and you declare your faith. And then that encourages them to sing and declare their faith. And next thing you know, we encourage one another. So I just want you to begin to think differently about Sunday morning, okay? And by the way, if you have to be late, for heaven's sakes, come on. I mean, that's okay. But if I change my mindset that Sunday morning worship is not just for me to get something, because you can come 15 minutes late, and if you just want to get the sermon, it'll still be there. Uh, But if you come because I'm part of a team, and I want to encourage everyone else on the team, I don't want to miss a minute of worship. Not because I need it. Because everybody else needs me as well. So I asked Paige to help me. We're almost done with the sermon, but I asked Paige to help me do an experiment today. I want to ask Paige to come all by herself with her nice acoustic guitar and pick out a short medley of some of the best-known praise songs. And I want to see what it sounds like if after hearing this teaching, you have a different attitude that I want to joyfully encourage everyone around me as I sing. Stand up. Let's just try it. I love to experiment in the middle of a sermon. Because the sermon's not over, so don't leave. Here we go. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. I'll lead you. Praise Him, all creatures, here below. Above the heavenly host, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's an old hymn.
it out. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, thy mercies I see. Thank you. Give yourself a hand, huh? All right. So my point is simply this. Ministry, the Spirit of God, when He begins to work in you, you should see the joy factor in your life, and especially in the context of worship, go up. But there's two more. The second one is this. You see more thankfulness. In verse 20, he says, And always giving thanks. For all things in the name of our Lord Jesus to God, even the Father. Now when you think about that passage, more thankful spirit, trusting God no matter what is my essence of it. The tough words in this passage repeated twice are what? What's the toughest word in that verse? Is it the word thanks? I don't think so. What's the toughest word in the verse? All. All. Because, you know, I mean, to, for, for this verse to say, it's not up on the screen, it's in your Bibles, okay? So, so for the, I'll, give, I'll give you a tip. Some of you, I don't see it up there, Pastor Dale. Yeah, I'm, it's in the Bible. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's giving thanks, giving thanks, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus. It's that always and all that make it tough. Because that means that even when life is not easy, even when I'm not sure what God is up to, even when my prayers are not being answered, even when tough things are happening in my life, I can be grieving, I can be weeping, but in the midst of it, I can say, but God, I still choose to thank you. It doesn't mean that you artificially thank God for some tragedy, like recently when our good friend back in, in Ohio uh, had a tragic accident a few weeks back, and I had to go back for her funeral, and right when she was beginning to move into a joyful, long in, you know, retirement that she was looking forward to and she was in perfect health. And, and the person driving the car had a dog in the back seat. And we now know later, now that we just learned that what happened was the dog did something, something the dog was doing and the driver did one thing. The driver reached into the back seat and looked. And when you do that with one hand on the wheel, what happens is you just go without knowing it. And by the time she looked back, she was off the road into a tree and her best friend lost her life. And this dear lady is my best friend, one of Becky's best friends, was gone in a heartbeat in a second. And, you know, but I mean, yeah, so, so do we say, oh, God, thank you that that happened? No. I don't say thank you that that happened, but I say, God, thank you that even in the midst of this tragedy that you are there, you are with my good friend, her husband, you love them, you love us, you love her family, you will give us the strength to get through this, you will even use this to bring some good in other people's lives, because right now the person, right now my friend who lost their life is perfectly healthy and whole in heaven. She's okay. 
And right now, I'll tell you right now, pray for the lady that was driving the car. Because my good friend's husband, Roger, who lost his wife, just spent two and a half hours, two and a half hours with her. And she's got multiple broken bones and problems that will probably never go away. But he just sat with her and talked about the grace of God. And why no one, no one in their family is holding a grudge against her. And they love her. And they just want to be, hopefully, with her in heaven someday. As he shared the gospel with this dear lady. And as far as we know, she's still trying to decide what she thinks of Jesus. But see, that's caring about the things that really matter. That's living life with purpose. And by the way, my friend had over 700 people come through for her funeral because she had lived a life of following Jesus, walking by the power of His Spirit, being thankful, being joyful. She lived that kind of a Christian life. And last but not least, there's a third thing, being more humble in spirit, willing to serve others as a lifestyle. Verse 21 says, And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. It's actually not an imperative command. It's a participial imperative. It's, a, it's a, called an imperatival participle, which is more grammar than you need. But just know that that verse 21 is linked back grammatically to being filled with the Spirit. Because as I'm filled with the Spirit, I have a more joyful spirit. I have a more thankful spirit. And by the Spirit of God, I'm able to submit to other people, to follow authority, to be a servant of others. That's what that means. It basically just means to live a lifestyle, being willing to not have to get your own way, but willing to surrender and serve others. That's incredible. More joyful, more thankful, more willing to serve others. That is the power of God on display. Because those things don't come naturally. They come as a result of knowing and walking with Jesus. So today, as we close our service, Paige and the band is going to come back up. But I want to begin by having you not sing, but do something a little different. In every one of your bulletins today, you should have received a little card. If you can pick one of those out. If you didn't get one, there are extras on the back tables you can pick up on your way out. On one side is today's passage. I want to give you a 30-day challenge. For 30 days, I want to encourage you every day when you open your Bible, no matter what else you're reading, read this verse. And be reminded of the Spirit of God within you and what He wants you to have the fruit of that Spirit, okay? And then on the back side, I want you to flip it over now and take out a pencil or a pen. And in the next two minutes, we're going to give you some silence. And I want you to fill out this prayer. I want you to write your own prayer. You're going to take it home with you. And I want to challenge you to pray it for 30 days and see if it doesn't transform your life. And the prayer is this. Look on the back with me. It says, Lord, thank you that your spirit lives in me. By your strength, help me to be joyful in, and this complete it. When and where do you want to be more joyful? Thankful for. 
What is it in your life that you want to thank God for that maybe it's been a struggle to thank God for? What do you most appreciate? And then thirdly, I want to be a servant too. Who is it, where is it that you want to have more of a spirit-filled servant spirit? Where you say, you know God, it's not about me. It's about me being a servant of others. Because you know the other reason that 700 people showed up to my friend's funeral? She lived her life as a joyful, thankful servant of others. Wouldn't it be great if someday each of us have a funeral like that? If you want that, walk in the power of the Spirit. Father, thank You for Your Word, and as we worship You now, I pray that You would speak into each life here. Help us, Father, to make some decisions as to what we want to pray for for the next 30 days. That we might be a more joyful, thankful, servant of others kind of a place, kind of a church. So we worship You now as we reflect and we ask Your Spirit to bring to mind the prayer that you want to compose. In Christ's name, amen.